0: This is React Podcast. I'm Chantastic. Hey, React friends. This week, we sit down with Tim Noitkin's lead developer at Zeit to talk about his work on Next.js. Next.js is a React framework for building apps. It's packed with tons of goodies like server side rendering, hot module replacement. And now, support for AMP, Accelerated Mobile Pages. All that, and it's wrapped in the simplest developer workflow I've seen since getting my start with PHP. Now, that's saying a lot for JavaScript. I'm excited to get Tim on the show to talk about Next.js. This episode is sponsored by two great sponsors, Git Prime and G2i. I'll tell you about Git Prime now and G2I a little later in the show. Git Prime wants to give listeners of React Podcast a free book, and not just an ebook, a printed book with beautiful illustrations. The book is 20 Patterns to Watch for in Your Engineering Team. It's a field guide to help you recognize achievement, stop bottlenecks, and debug your development process with data. So, what does that mean? Every team can improve their development process, no matter how good they are. Something that always bothers me is when I wait for days to have a pull request reviewed only to have a teammate rubber stamp it with looks good to me. Or maybe they miss the whole point entirely of the PR and just point out pedantic syntactic nonsense, you know, the easy, meaningless stuff. 20 patterns to watch for in your engineering team will help you identify and name these failing patterns so you can grow as a team, work happier, and build a product that builds a business. Visit getprime.com slash 20 patterns, that's the number 20 patterns, and get this free book immediately as a digital download and then print if you wish. And let me tell you, you will want this in print because this thing is beautiful, or you can just admire it on your screen and save a treat. Git Prime, engineers build business. Hey, Tim, how are you doing today? I'm good. I want to welcome you to the show. I am so excited to have you on. I'll tell you exactly why in a second. But um, for anyone who is not familiar with your work, uh, tell us about what you do, why you do it, why you love it, and uh, kind of how you got there.
1: Right, so I'm Tim Notkins, um and I'm the lead maintainer of Next.js, which uh, is a framework for uh, pre-rendered uh, React applications. So that means like server-side rendered or uh, static rendered, um, and I lead the team that builds out Next.js at Zyde, um, which is a cloud hosting company uh, that allows you to host, for example, Next.js, but also other frameworks, and other languages uh, in a serverless manner.
0: How long have you been working with Zyte?
1: Um For one and a half years now, I think.
0: Awesome, awesome.
1: I started in December of uh, 2018 or no, t- 2017 actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I- I've basically been maintaining uh, Next.js ever since it came out uh, in my free time as a hobby. Um, and then eventually I ended up uh, getting enough from fromside to work on an XS full time uh, and build it out more uh, and just spend more time on it. basically.
0: That's amazing. I love these stories of open source where you kind of get into something just because you really align and love the project or align with and love the project and um, how that creates uh, opportunities for you know, for, for jobs, for speaking, for you know, for whatever. How big is how big Zyte now, and how big is the team that is working um, on on Next?
1: Great question. Um, we currently have around forty people at Zyte, um, and five of those are on my team uh, working on Next.js. Yes.
0: Wow! Wow! That's a pretty big percentage. Are they working on it full time too, or um, do they have shared responsibilities with other parts of Zeit?
1: So three people are working on it full time, um, and then uh, two are the in between of hosting Next.js on now um, and making that whole experience uh, the best it can be.
0: Wow! Awesome! Awesome! So there's so many th- so many questions that I want to ask you. Um, so, f- but first of all, I, I want to get my bias out of the way. I love Next. I find it an indispensable part of of, of my work. I work on um, design systems at my company, and it is just the the perfect tool for me to to kind of help me do that job really well. Um, could you describe to me just what the the big design goal of Next is? Like, what is the what's the inspiration there? Why is it such a different product than some of the other, you know, boilerplates or kind of generators that exist in the creating of React apps?
1: So the, okay, so the main difference is that um, we try to put you in the pit of success uh, for building React applications. So we uh, try to optimize as much as possible to let you focus on uh, what you want to do, which is build your application code and not the build tools around it. And then also optimize the code that you produce um, in a way that you don't have to uh, go back and like change things. For example, in the compilation side of things and like the, um, I don't know, for example, Next.js has hot module replacement for you automatically, uh, which is a really hard issue to tackle on your own. So yeah, Next.js basically helps you uh, be more productive at um, building React applications
0: now why react there's there's a lot of um there's a lot of client side uh libraries now that do similar things to to react if you were to start it over today would you still choose react or would you choose something else
1: i would definitely go with react i think it's not like there's a lot of really good uh really good frameworks out there right now uh especially client-side frameworks uh for example you have React View uh, Swelt, which just came out with another version mm-hmm. yesterday. But React has been has become like the integral part of pretty much everyone's developer workflow. Um, mm. and it has certain properties that allow us to do certain kinds of optimizations. While there, there are like alternatives in other languages, for example, um in Vue, there is Nuxt, which is based on Next, but also uh, Svelte, Sapper. that do very similar but different uh, kinds of workflows, basically.
0: So one of the key features, as far as I read it, of Next is that you know while you could get a client-side library out of just or sorry, you get a client-side rendered site out of any application. Um, part of the, the thing that Next gets you by default is really good server rendering, which is a, a really hard problem to kind of bolt on or a hard thing to solve afterwards. So if you start with a you know purely client rendered React application, it's kind of hard to bolt on uh, server rendering after the fact. And it seems like one of the core features of Next is that you solve both of those problems in tandem. Uh, is that... Am I understanding that right?
1: Yep. So basically uh, what Next.js allows you to do is um, build server-side rendered applications, uh, but that are also, for example, client-side rendered. So what we do is we first server-rendered the whole uh, page. Um, So we basically generate the initial HTML from your um, React application and then put that uh, out to the client-side Then the client-side loads and it will um, load all the JavaScript for your application. And then we hydrate that, which is basically the process of like attaching the on-click events and that kind of thing. Um, and then it's a fully functioning React application on the client side.
0: Wow, now you're, you're doing a lot here and you mentioned uh, hydration. And I, I think that I understand that, that you're splitting all of the, um, you're doing code splitting on all of the routes. Now, are you just using regular React under the hood, so you know react-dom.hydrate and react.lazy, or do you have some extra magic sauce that, that you have to build to make all those things work?
1: Right. So, by default, uh, what you do is when you build an XS application, you create a pages directory uh, that, that in very uh, in many ways is very similar to PHP, for example. You create a, um, a document <laughs> or a, a folder, you put in files that are uh, React components. So you create, for example, about.js that exports uh, a React component, and then an uh, will automatically server render and client render that React component, uh, but also does routing for you. So uh, the about.js becomes slash about on your application, basically. So we use React, uh, the just vanilla React, uh, using uh, React, um dot hydrate for example for react dom dot hydrate for uh hydration um using uh for code splitting we do we basically allow you to do two things which is we code split by default per route meaning that Mm -hmm. if you change one route and don't change another route uh, and it breaks it will only break that one route Mm. but next to that there's also for example react.lazy which allows you to do component uh, on the component level, do uh, uh, lazy loading of components uh, or splitting out code. Um, for that, uh, you can use React.lazy, Lazy, uh, but it doesn't work on the server side. So you'd get like a loading state, for example. Um, but we mm-hmm. provide a, a, a wrapper library that is called uh, Next Dynamic, which is which has pretty much this, uh, the same API as uh, Reacted Lazy. Except what it does is it optimizes for, for example, if you do import some component uh, inside of Next Dynamic, it will inject the script tag uh, to preload that component when you do server-side rendering, for example. Oh, wow. So it does a little bit more than just React Lazy. So under the hood, it would use React Lazy. It doesn't currently because it doesn't support server-side rendering right now, but eventually it will. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's how
0: it works. Cool, that's one thing that I really love about the the way you've built up this framework is that you have these really cool ergonomics um, and I love that PHP analogy because that's totally what it feels like. Like I feel like a kid every time I'm using using next <laughs> because it just reminds me of that early time in the web where it was like I just put a file up there and started working. And it was like super fun and super direct. And there wasn't like a big framework sitting in between me and my intent. But you handle those I guess those cases where you need a different solution for server rendering with such respect for React, and so you like you said you have this wrapper around React Lazy that allows you to get, um, you know, to get those features in both places. Um, what are some other areas? Um, I know that f- from from my knowledge, and I have very limited understanding of the scope of Next, but there's two places that you've kind of added some some features, which is um, Next Link and um, also get initial props. Could you tell me about those and any other things that you know someone who wants to be successful in Next would would need to be aware of?
1: Right. So uh, to start off, um, since you have pages, since Next.js also has its own routing layer, uh, which is um, server rendered, but also uh, it works on the client side for uh, single-page application route transitions, basically. So similar uh, to Doing for example, if you use next link, uh, which is a link component um, that if you use it, you point it to another page. But what happens is that page is not server-side rendered. It's actually fetched on demand and then um, rendered on the client side instead of on the server side. Mm. And then to go into getInitialProps, getInitialProps solves the data fetching issue, which means that uh, in a React, in a React library, you generally, or in a React project, you generally want to do data fetching of some data, like any data. For example, uh, you have a blog and you want to get the posts, for example. Uh, then you use getInitialProps at the top level, so at the uh, pages level, uh, to do data fetching uh, from any source. So it's an asynchronous JavaScript function. Where you just can await for data to be loaded before React starts rendering, so we've added in this extra API basically for doing data fetching.
0: I love it. I love it. Now, one thing that I also love is the way that you handle CSS. Um, next, uh, I believe the package is Next CSS. I could be be getting it wrong, um, but there's some really great ergonomics about including that CSS, like just at the places you need it. You also have this library um, called Styled styled.jsx. Uh, can you tell me about how that fits into uh, Next and, and also the broader scope of CSS and JS libraries?
1: Right, so um, styled.jsx is basically a very thin layer um, that we added in by default for Next.js, which allows you to write um, CSS like you would normally write CSS but then do it inside of components. Um, and they're all scoped to that component. So it, you can compare it to, for example, stealth components or emotion, but with a less, um, um, like with a simpler API. So it's just style JSX and then the, the styles that you want to uh, write basically.
0: It's basically like a like an inline style tag, but it's it's yeah. inherently scoped.
1: It, it's basically, it looks like an inline style tag, but it's not. That's basically how it works. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I I love that. It fits really well with the kind of, I don't know, like the subtle deceptions that React has inherently. Like you're writing this thing and it feels like a certain way, but it's actually not at all how it works under the hood. And the way it works under the hood is like hyper-optimized and exactly how you want it to, um, but you get to keep that really nice developer uh, experience.
1: Right. Because StartJSX, for example, uh, compiles into uh, the style tag that is then combined uh, at the server-side rendering level. Um, so it's just one style tag that comes out basically. And then also that works on client-side rendering, for example. Um, but even uh, if you don't want to use style.jsx, for example, you can use any uh, CSS and JS library with NextJS. So you can use style components emotion uh, basically every library that's out there (laughs) Um, and we have an examples directory that has examples for pretty much every possible uh, library that you want to use
0: i'm glad you mentioned that because that is one of my favorite things about next is it is uh, first of all it's beautifully documented Uh, kudos for that but it has so many great examples as well and sometimes those are even better than the documentation because you get to see the real code that makes the thing happen. And so you just find the example that's, um, you know, like the thing that you're trying to achieve and basically just copy and paste, you know, the solution. And it's it's amazing.
1: Yeah, it's, it's super great. Um, it's also good to note that most of these examples, because we have, uh, I think, from the top of my mind, like 190 right now, mm-hmm. uh, which are... Uh, mostly contributed by uh, just users that are using Next.js in production or building their applications uh, and wanted to contribute back to the framework, basically.
0: That's awesome. I, I love seeing community efforts like that. Now, one thing that I'm super curious about is, as we've kind of established already, there's there's a big gap in thinking between like a client only. Uh, application and a server only application and next is doing a really great job of marrying those uh, in a way that you don't have to think about it a whole lot but it doesn't mean that the complexity goes away and it doesn't mean that you're not going to do things on the server specifically uh, and one of those things is is like dynamic routing so w- when i think about dynamic routing i'm thinking about something like unpackage.com that michael jackson does where you know you you could it's just a wrapper around, or like kind of a directory view of everything that's on NPM. Now, you wouldn't want to generate static routes for all of those things. So how would you take a, a Next app and kind of move it into, or uh, g- engineer it so that it could support a, a need like unpackage.com?
1: Right, great question. Uh, it's something that we got a lot of feedback on uh, because we currently have an API that. Where you have to create uh, a custom server or do custom routing logic mm-hmm. uh, that then maps the incoming request to another uh to, to basically a page plus a query string right so what you do is you take your for example serverless writing layer or your uh, custom server or anything basically uh it gets the url uh it does then it, it does pattern matching outside of next basically and then uh, you move it into next like you say uh, next build render basically uh, and then this route and these parameters are coming in basically uh, but we're currently working on a new way to do uh, dynamic routing which is based on the file system you create a directory uh, that is marked uh, in a specific way that then allows you to do these um, more like to do segmented routing basically like for example, uh, you do slash blog slash uh, the slug, for example, of the uh, post. And then we automatically route you to that. Um, once the URL comes in, we automatically match that and inject that parameter into get initial props, for example, so that you can fetch based on that value.
0: Awesome. It's it's exciting to see that you guys are continue to, continuing to work, uh, work through some of these things, uh, given some of the the feedback. I want to transition into uh, a a little bit about what it looks like to maintain uh, Next.js. Obviously, you have a a ton of sites using it. How how many sites do you estimate are using Next.js now, at least in public places that you can index?
1: Right. So last time I checked, it was over 15,000. Oh my gosh. Um, (laughs) And that goes from like, uh, actually, I just checked right now. It's like sixteen thousand five hundred something. Um more than that, basically. Uh but it goes from like very large scale, like crazy scale, six billion users in Q one, um to very small websites that are never uh accessed, for example, like personal websites or that kind sure. of thing. So yeah. yeah, it goes across like the whole spectrum. Like uh we have I don't know, like Lego and Marvel and <laughs> IGN, if you know that the website. Uh, it's a very big gaming website. Yep, yep. Um, they're currently migrating everything to Next.js, yes. So more and more we see these companies uh, like Hulu or at and or, I don't know, Binance, which is a very large cryptocurrency company um, mm-hmm. that are all moving towards yes, um and are using it in production in very large scale.
0: What does it look like to maintain... A project of this scale. Uh, obviously, you know, it's it's one thing to to be working on and maintaining a project um, that that is has a much smaller scope, but this really does uh, have you know wide reaching a, a wide reaching audience. You know, like you said, there's like huge companies with you know tons of page views, and then you know, kind of just you know little guys like like me who are just like putting up a design system page that only our team really looks at. Um, What are some of the things you've learned about maintaining this type of project?
1: Really good question. (laughs) Um, I think that the one takeaway that I always had is that uh, it's really important to talk to uh, users. So, for example, uh, I end up talking to a lot of users of of Next.js from like very large scale to very small websites uh, just to gather their feedback about like issues they're running into or things that we can improve um to provide the best possible developer experience or for example in development but also mm-hmm. like uh for example companies saying like oh our builds are very slow um and then figuring out like the reason why that is mm-hmm. but yeah it goes all over the place we get like a lot of issues for example uh that are sometimes not issues of next but of like integrations with other frameworks or other libraries mm-hmm. um yeah that kind of thing
0: that's cool was Next, th- really the first project of this size that you've maintained or did you cut your teeth on another open source project?
1: Um, no, this is the first. Uh, I used to help maintain Hyper, which is this um, terminal oh, yeah. uh, that Zaid also built, uh, which is a terminal that is used by a lot of people um, and it's built on Electron. So it is like built on HTML, CSS, JavaScript. Actually, it uses React. Um, it's how I learned React, a uh, fun fact. Um, wow. Yeah. So
0: That's a fun way to learn React. I, I feel like most people learn it in a client, but you're learning it to run a uh, terminal application. It's yeah. <laughs> pretty amazing.
1: So just by contributing, I learned um, uh, React and Redux because it also uses Redux on the hood. Mm-hmm. So yeah, uh, so I helped on Hyper, but then uh, besides that, I was doing mostly PHP work uh, at an agency here in the Netherlands. And I, I was mostly working on like Magento websites, uh, like with PHP. So that's why like Next.js attracted me a lot when it first came out, uh, because it's very similar to PHP, but then it's not really. Um, yeah. And there's a lot of optimizations that you can do in the, on the basically on the Next.js level, we can do more optimizations than for example, on PHP applications, mm-hmm.
0: uh,
1: because we also control the client-side JavaScript um, and the whole client-side experience basically.
0: Yeah, I think that's the biggest difference and and something that is so I guess can't be overstated is there's something so beautiful about just having one experience where you're doing dynamic and static uh, asset generation. Like it's kind of hard to explain, but even today, so many of the applications that you know, the, the applications that I actually work on for work, we have the kind of server generated phase, you know, so I work on rails apps that have these kind of complex react components, but there's like, there's two brains that you have to kind of think about all the time. And something beautiful about next is you have, it's all just the same thing. Like you just write it as it's dynamic and then next figures everything out for you.
1: Yeah, exactly. So one of the main issues that you have, if you don't do isomorphic or universal rendering is that uh, you end up writing server code and then client code that mimics it. Mm -hmm. So for example, if you take a very simple example, uh, you build a PHP website that is then like hydrated using uh, React. You have to like copy all the React, um, all the HTML markup (laughs) into your React component, and then like hope that it goes together, for example. So yeah, that's one of the beautiful things about doing pre-rendering using uh, React, for example.
0: So something that has um, been kind of in the popular era of the React community right now is um, Max Stoibe of um, Spectrum.Chat, which recently got acquired by GitHub, has um, been talking about the things that he would have changed if he was building um, Spectrum.Chat today. And he's been talking a lot about how he would have started, started with Next. Now, that's... That's kind of impressive given the fact that he kind of cut his teeth on open source in um, rec boilerplate. Um, How does that feel as a maintainer to to kind of have someone like Max, uh, who has been part of a successful startup, say, hey, if I were to do this again, I would just use Next.
1: So Spectrum is actually a really interesting uh, story because they started out as a create React App application but then they mm-hmm. eventually decided that they need server rendering. Um, and then basically Max added in uh, server rendering on top of create React app, like basically rolling your own thing uh, because how hard can it be, right? <laughs> that is literally what he said in his talk uh, at React Amsterdam two weeks ago. Um, mm-hmm. But it, it's actually, there's a lot of nuance in doing server-side rendering or doing pre-rendering um, and then like hydration and that kind of thing. Data fetching. um, But basically, uh, it's not just data fetching and hydration. It's also that, for example, in XJS, and XJS allows you to scale to many pages. So it's not just that you have, for example, in Create React app, you have one bundle with, like, it's basically like one page in Um, XJS. So if you build out your whole application in that, you end up Importing a lot of uh, code that isn't needed for, uh, for example, your, I don't know your uh, post view in uh, Spectrum. Um, but also, what Nexus allows you to do is uh, because it's split out on the pages level. Uh, all these pages are unique, like sort of sub applications. Uh, that's how people use them sometimes. And it allows you to do, for example, scale out server rendering for these individual pages. So And then also it doesn't load the map of all possible routes on the client side. So if you go from one page to another, uh, we don't know yet what code will be there and then it loads that all automatically for you. Mm. So it never loads too much code, basically. It only loads the code that's needed for your application, uh, for that page of your application.
0: I wanna cut in here and tell you about another great sponsor, G2i. Do you need proficient React talent fast? Have you had trouble finding qualified developers that can hit the ground running? Truth is, hiring is an expensive process. Just finding candidates can slow your team's productivity to a grinding halt. And there's a huge gap between resume and React proficiency. You could roll the dice, test your hiring abilities, and put your goals at risk. Or you could hire G2I to find the perfect developer for you right now. G2i finds the best React and React Native talent available and determines in which areas they're strongest. Engineers have been vetted through React-specific code reviews and technical interviews. And when you work with G2i, those scores and notes are provided to you upfront, saving you time, energy, and keeping your team focused on building the product, not finding a needle in a haystack. Let G2i solve your hiring problem for you. Visit g2i.co today and find a developer handpicked for your team and application stack ready to go. G2i, we vet, you hire, it's that simple. So I want to, uh, I have a ton of questions, but I want to uh, kind of transition just a little bit into uh, some questions that a lot of people asked on Twitter. Um, And this is actually the first time I've asked people for questions and there were some really great ones. So I wanna wanna give uh, them a chance to ask their questions. Uh, So the first one is, um, Giuseppe asks, if you were to build Next from scratch today, uh, what would you change?
1: I actually saw the question before uh, you, because I saw what you posted. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Fun fact, Giuseppe is actually the person maintaining StartJSX, uh, which is part of NextJS.
0: Oh, okay, awesome.
1: Uh, And he's done a really good job, so I wanted to give him a shout out. Um, But if I were to go back and uh, start over, What would I do? I would probably, uh, there's this one thing in Axios that I kind of don't like, or it's like suboptimal, which is that uh, currently we have a link API. Mm -hmm. So you do the next link, you create a link, uh, and then you have a href, uh, and it points to another page, right? Mm -hmm. Sounds easy so far. But then if you have dynamic routes, you have to do href, which points to a page in your pages directory. And then you have an S um, property, that is uh, basically the, the route that you'll see in your browser URL. And then also the href has to have all the dynamic properties, basically. Gotcha. But on the bright side of things, we're currently working on a new API for doing linking. Oh, cool. Uh, that won't have this uh, this same issue that uh, we had before, basically. And that will also do, for example, um, find dead, co- uh, not dead code, but dead links. So, for example, if you linked to another page and uh, you delete that page right now, uh, we we have no way of detecting that because we don't know like which pages are linking to each other. Uh, but soon we'll be able to know that because we'll have a graph of all the links between pages uh, using this new API.
0: That's awesome. Is this something that people will be able to use in tandem with the current Link API and be able to m- migrate gradually toward, or is this something that will be like a whole uh, a whole shift and you'll have to rework your app.
1: Right, so uh, it's probably good to note that um, we're very committed towards not breaking anything. So for example, all our major releases are generally just upgrades of, for example, React and Webpack and Babel and that kind of thing. So one good example is if you take the the first README of uh, Next.js, which is uh, before we even started implementing Next.js. Which are basically like the the IDs that Next was built on. Um, so like the first APIs like Next Link and that kind of thing, they all still work um, in exactly the same way as documented. Uh, even if you like compare that readme to like what we have right now, there's mostly like additions to it, not like things removed.
0: So it's quite an accomplishment.
1: Yeah, uh, it takes a lot of effort, uh, especially uh, when we want to like do this kind of optimization. Um, on top of the existing uh, applications. But we're also committed to um, not breaking anything because we use Nexus for uh, most site products. Mm-hmm. So for example, the site dashboard and that kind of thing. Uh, and those are over 400 pages. Wow. Uh, which means that if we break something, we have to go in and fix all these pages, um, <laughs> which takes a lot of effort, of course, from our side also.
0: This is one thing I really love about the React project as well is is that they're co- they're very committed to not breaking things for a lot of the same reasons. They have like you know f- famously have like fifty thousand or some components in the Facebook library, and nobody wants to go back and have to you know apply some breaking changes to all those components.
1: Yes, definitely. So what we've been doing is similar to the React team is that if we make a really like breaking change, which has only happened like I think once. Uh, which was that we removed uh, a property that was automatically injected into Pages, uh, which sort of um, created a, a weird state of usage. Um, so we created a code mod, which is a script that basically takes your code and then converts it into the new way of doing things, but automatically. So uh, you can run it over your whole project and then it like just automatically fixes everything. So the React team does this, for example, uh, for like sorting, uh, function names and that kind of thing. Uh, but also like getting rid of, well, they had the code mods, for example, for, uh, react.create element, uh, versus like classes, right? Mm-hmm. So you had to create class versus, um, uh, the class, uh, like the class syntax itself. So you could do a code mod for converting those basically so that you didn't have to manually write code
0: for that. Awesome. Awesome. I love it. I, I love this trend of like code mods. It's, it's, it's been great. So uh, another question, I think we've probably uh, asked this, but this, this came up a bunch and I'm kind of generalizing, but the general idea is like with Google getting better at indexing uh single page applications, when is it important to consider next, um, versus just doing a client side, like a uh, create react app, um, application.
1: Right. So, it's something that comes up a lot, actually. Uh, <laughs> they basically like Google is is actually indexing JavaScript applications, but uh, it's a very tedious process. Which means that they basically boot up Chrome, they go to your website, they index your uh, like the content that you can see. But if your content loads like too slow, for example, it can't index. Um, but also, it has a crawl delay, which means that. If you have a fully JavaScript application um, and you're running a news website, for example, or basically anything that mm-hmm. has a, a frequent updates of content, um, it will take at least two days or three days to two weeks for uh, the the renderer that uh, Google has to catch up to your website, basically. Because what happens is once uh, Google comes in, it basically renders your, it server renders your application. Okay. Uh, so it gets the HTML, it does like the initial like, it checks the meta, uh, meta uh, description, uh, the title, uh, all the content in your page, that kind of thing, right?
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and then it puts that page into uh, basically a line, a waiting line or a queue that is as long as like all the, <laughs> all the things that it has to index. <laughs> and then like eventually sure. it goes to your uh, website as in JavaScript. And then once that happens, it indexes it. Uh, and then doesn't take into account all the meta tags. It does take into account like title and description and that kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. But it's not 100% the same thing as doing a full HTML uh, server rendered response.
0: That's interesting. So, so while they're getting better... It's still not a foolproof. Like it's it's. There's not one to one parity between uh, having a you know having static assets and having a single page application. Correct.
1: So it, it's probably also good to know that with Next you can actually do um, uh, SPA without uh, doing sort of server side rendering using static export and then like only loading the the shell of the application and, the, and then the rest is like dynamically fetched. In the similar manner that you do, for example, okay. create React app or anything else. Um, but I replied on the tweet that you you were mentioning uh, with a talk from Google uh, I/O from last year uh, that goes very deeply into like how it works, um, which is probably good to note in the uh, podcast description afterwards.
0: Oh yeah, we'll definitely add that to the to the show notes for sure.
1: Sounds good. Anything else?
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, so we have, we have a bunch of them. So I'll try to, I'll try to knock them up and let you hit them down. Uh, Stefan asks, what are the long-term goals for serverless next steps? Uh, and this is a little bit outside of my depth. So uh, I'll let you you talk to this. Um, is it going to be a default even for non-NOW sites? Um, and then specifically exporting static pages can be tedious with custom servers. Any plans to improve that?
1: Good question, Saouders. Basically, uh, to first explain, uh, Nexus has basically two rendering targets for uh, output for server rendering. That means that you have either serverless functions, so that is like now V2 serverless or uh, AWS Lambda uh, or like Google Cloud Functions or basically anything that does serverless rendering, which means that every page that you have becomes a serverless function uh, that is then like independently deployed to the serverless platform, for example, it works really well with SiteNow. Oh. Now, and what that does, what that allows you to do is scale out server rendering uh, to basically infinite scale because um, you get individual pages that are executed uh, that are very small, so you don't really have a cold boot um, penalty, uh, or it's very like okay. it's not noticeable. So, for example, the issue that serverless functions have is that they generally have a warm boot and a cold boot, which is that a cold boot means that it basically gets your code, then boots up the, the runtime, then executes it and then replies. Um, and the warm means that uh, that already happened and then uh, it stays around for a few minutes. Uh, and those are like faster replies generally. Hmm. But what uh, the serverless target in Next does together with, for example, now, is uh, it engages that cold boot by creating the smallest possible lambda function that then boots are pretty fast so the line between wow. warm and cold is very blurred like you can't even notice it as a user
0: yeah
1: uh, this means that your code is not running when it's not being requested uh, so you're not paying for like anything say you have a website that is for example my personal homepage where basically no one goes to, I think, uh, because I didn't have analytics, but <laughs> <laughs> say, like, no one goes there. Uh, I'm also then not paying for any uh, server that is around or something. Um, like, I don't have a VPS that is, like, laying somewhere, and always paying for it. Um, mm. That kind of thing. Yeah. And then the, the other thing that Next does is Um, server output, which then allows you to put it onto this VPS or like this other platform that um, always runs, that is always online, basically. Or like, I mean, um, it's always uh, running your code, uh, which also introduces, for example, points of failure, where you have to check if your asset is always online, uh, because you're not sure if it's there, right?
0: Well, that's one really nice advantage, and I, I really like the way you're going about solving this problem with uh, with Lambdas is oftentimes you can, you can get a VPS and it costs you some amount of money. And you just you, you're using that server all the time just for it to sit there and be ready in case, you know, the one person a week visits your visits your site. Um, there are some free options, obviously, um, but a lot of times it's like they make it free by, you know, you by only booting up the server like keeping it warm like after you know for a certain amount of time after someone visits it which means that first person may have to wait like you know 20 30 40 seconds to get that that first response um, and I love this idea that you you're kind of like doubling down on these these lambdas to to be able to make that experience great and keep the cost down for you know low traffic low traffic sites
1: yeah and it's also for for example high traffic sites um, what we see a lot is that. People, for example, create um, applications that are uh, built into, for example, Next Server. Um, but then they have to scale out those servers um, once traffic hits in. For example, like you post an article online and it goes on Hacker News or uh, anything like else, yeah. uh, and suddenly like you're being hit by like thousands of users that, uh, per second, um, and suddenly like you're application can't take it anymore, or your server can't take it anymore because it doesn't scale um, by default. And serverless functions are basically the solution to this by just executing that code only when requests come in and then automatically scaling it out uh, for you on your behalf,
0: basically. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Let's see. I'm probably going to skip a couple of these questions and maybe I can ping you in those tweets and we can we can answer them specifically with um, with those people. Definitely. Uh, the, the one that it seems really important to me, though, is um, Chris asks, what is the, the support story for hooks and caches right now in next and kind of what's the plan going forward?
1: Do hooks and cache work? That's an interesting question. I just looked it up on Twitter just to be sure that I got the right. OK, so let's let's answer at least one of those, uh, which is, um, do hooks work with uh, SSR, or server-side rendering, or serverless-side rendering, as we used to call it? Um, yes, they do. Like, you can use hooks uh, since React 16.8, and then uh, if you use them, it just works. So the way it works is, for example, if you use a state, which is a stateful um, uh, it, it's stateful, for example, uh, it just gets the default value on surfset rendering. And then when it hydrates, uh, you can do the set state um, on the client side, basically.
0: Cool. Well, I want to give you an opportunity to tell us a little bit about what you're excited about in in what's coming up in the next versions of, of Next. Uh, I know that you just gave a talk where you released some cool features. So tell us about what's going on there.
1: Right. So last week was uh, AMP Con in uh, Tokyo, uh, where we launched uh, AMP support for Next.js. Yes, which is, uh, if you never heard of AMP before, it's this thing that uh, started at Google, but it's now an open uh, framework that people are working on in a similar fashion to Node.js, for example, using a, a string committee and that kind of thing. Uh, and it's basically, if you ever opened Google on mobile uh, and searched for anything, uh, you probably saw this lighting icon before, right? <laughs> so um, that basically is an AMP rendered page, which means that if you click on it, it loads inside of Google uh, and it's very fast. So it runs through Google CDN uh, automatically. And then like everything is optimized for that. So what Next.js now can do is render React components, uh, serve that and render them into AMP pages, which allows you to build very fast websites. Um, And AMP has some constraints to make sure that you create the the fastest possible website, basically. So one example of this is we uh, started using it for Next.js.org, which is the Next.js website. Uh, And the documentation and the uh, blog, for example, use it. And you can notice that it's almost as fast as doing Uh, client-side transitions, for example. Crazy. Uh, Because AMP makes sure that you uh, don't do re-layouts and like everything is there, like you don't see jumps, for example. Um, Mm -hmm. If you wanted to do, for example, uh, if you do a HTML page or like a React page um, and you include image components, right? You sometimes see that your whole page is jumping around. Right. Mm -hmm. So you go to a website and suddenly you see like this huge image, like sliding everything down and that kind of thing. Right. Yeah. Um, so amp actually has this component called amp image, which requires you to set width and height. Uh, so basically the aspect ratio. Uh, so it makes sure that you don't get into this pitfall of like everything jumping around, but then also it does like lazy loading of images only when, uh, they're in your viewport. Mm. Um, So it optimizes a lot of things. And then also we implemented it in a way that allows you to build uh, basically Nexus applications that render to AMP. But then you can do, for example, either hybrid mode, which is doing uh, a Nexus application and then serving AMP for uh, search engines uh, like Google, for example. Uh, So it indexes a different page for mobile on your uh, Google results. Okay. Okay. Um, But also you can do full AMP pages, which is what we do for nextjs.org, where you build your whole application or like a whole page because it's incremental uh, incrementally adoptable. You can just change, for example, one page like your homepage or your about page to AMP and then render everything in AMP. So even the the desktop site, for example.
0: Crazy. That's incredible that's incredible I imagine that was uh, that was quite an effort it sounds like that's a very kind of strict uh, those are very strict guidelines
1: yeah so uh, we basically implement all the um, the things around implementing amp so amp has this boilerplate that you always have to include um, you have this optimizer for if you don't render inside of Google uh, you need to optimize it or you get a flash of like white basically okay so you get a, a flash of It's not installed content, but it's just a white screen before the JavaScript loads. Uh, But we got rid of that using AMP Optimizer, which is included out of the box. Um, And then also, like, the developer experience is everything that you expect from Next. So, for example, if you go to an AMP page in development and you make changes to components, it automatically refreshes the page and that kind of thing.
0: (laughs) Crazy. Now, which version of Next do you need to be using to uh, get these this AMP feature Uh,
1: the latest stable version which is 8.1 okay and that has come out last week so it's already uh, available
0: for everyone great great awesome well we have spent uh, quite a bit of time talking about Next and uh, I really appreciate your uh, your availability and taking that time to talk with us about all the all the stuff that you're doing and what's kind of coming down the pipe Uh, where can people find out more about Next where can they follow you and what you're doing
1: Right. So uh, we have a website for NextJS, which is NextJS.org. Um, but on the website, there's actually a learn section that is interactive. So you I don't know if you went through it uh, yourself, but yeah, um, it's basically...
0: It's great. It's terrific. Yeah. <laughs>
1: so if you go there, uh, you can get started using NextJS, but it's very um, practical. So... Mm -hmm. If you go there, you basically get, like, an introduction of what Next.js is. It goes through all the APIs, but it does so in a very playful manner. So it asks you to clone uh, code and then, like, run Next.js yourself, make some changes. There's, like, quizzes inside of there also. Yeah. And it's a really nice way to get started using uh, Next.js because you get to play around with the framework while learning about all the features that it has.
0: Yeah, it's extremely well-considered, and it's a very playful and fun way to get started with, uh, with a library. I, I really liked it.
1: Yeah, definitely. And we also, for example, just added in uh, a, a lesson on using AMP, for example, if you want to get into that.
0: Awesome. So it's still
1: expanding out uh, based on features that we introduce.
0: And where can people find you about the internet?
1: I'm on Twitter uh, as Tim Notkins, which is uh, probably going to be in the description of your uh, <laughs> podcast because <laughs> no, it's really we'll hard link to you. <laughs> um, just write down based on what you say. But yeah, yeah, I'm on Twitter, GitHub, anywhere basically uh, under the same name. Yeah, that's basically it.
0: Awesome. So as we bring this to a close, I just wanted to ask: Is there anything that we uh, that you're excited about that we haven't covered that you want to touch on before we before we close it out?
1: So currently we're working on uh, a new feature of the next uh, build API, which is what builds the production bundles for your application, which is that um, currently if you do, for example, uh, you have an application and you have, like say 50 pages or something, um, and you run next build two times, it will take probably like 30 seconds or more uh, Mm -hmm. to build out all these pages but we're currently working on a way to detect what actually changed in between those builds. uh, Basically through like diffing the uh, components that you're uh, changing. So if you import a component in only one page and you change that one component, it will only rebuild that one page that you uh, imported it in. Okay. Which means that if you, for example, rebuild this, 50 pages application, it would only take one second instead of like 30 plus oh, wow. seconds to build out all these pages. Um, and then you're obviously in production immediately, right? So you run the next build and um, everything rebuilds, like only the things that you changed
0: rebuild. Nice, well, we might have to get you back on to talk about uh, some of the more like how it plays into the Zeit strategy and, and all that, but... Um, you know, for for another time. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much, Tim, for joining us today. I really appreciate it.
1: Sounds good. Thank you very
0: much. Thanks so much for listening to React Podcast. I hope you'll give Next.js a try. I'm pretty sure you'll love it. It's one of my favorites. In fact, I am using it right now to build the next version of reactpodcast.com. Links and notes for this episode are available at reactpodcast.com slash 53. And thanks again to our sponsors, Git Prime and G2i. Visit g2i.co to find React and React Native talent fast. Don't waste your team's precious resource of time trying to find superstar React devs. Visit g2i.co and find vetted React talent specialized for your needs. Visit getprime.com slash 20patterns to get your free printed copy of 20 Patterns to Watch For in your engineering team. It's beautifully illustrated and will 100% improve your team's communication and productivity. This episode of React Podcast was edited by Mikhail Delport. It was produced by Mikhail Delport and Sarah Jackson. You can find React Podcast on Spec, a network to help designers and developers level up. Visit spec.fm to find other shows that will take you further in your career. Help us out by reviewing this show on iTunes. Your reviews help the show grow and help us ensure great guests and awesome content week to week. To join the discussion, visit reactpodcast.com slash chat or follow us on Twitter at reactpodcast. I'm at Chantastic. To stay out of the discussion but get updates, visit reactpodcast.com slash news and sign up for emails. Thanks so much for giving us your attention. We'll be in your ears again next week.